Right, well, shall we go back to October the 1st, 1986? Of course, it was the great Sir Roger Douglas uh, who came up with the concept of GST. When Roger Douglas, Minister of Finance and the author of Rogernomics, I suppose you'd say, introduced GST. The biggest tax reform package in New Zealand's history is a reality this morning. Major changes in taxation and benefits came into being at midnight with the introduction of the goods and services tax. So there's a couple of factors to consider there. We had a a tax system as a whole that was actually quite inefficient. Uh, It distorted economic decision-making. We were too reliant on that personal income tax. The sales tax that we had at the time was also very distorting. When it came in, it was 10%, so a bit lower than it is today, but it came in with a package of all sorts of other tax changes as well. The income tax cuts range from a few cents to more than $100 for those at the top of the pay scales. Family support replaces family care, and for low-income earners under $14,000 a year with children, it's $36 a week for the first So you've got this package of reforms which was intended to make the tax system a lot more efficient, and, and it definitely did that. That's Lisa Marriott, Professor of Tax at Victoria University. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, the big fuss over Labor's policy to scrap the goods and services tax from fruit and veg. These people hate it. It's depressing. It seems to lack vision. It's probably one of the least cost-effective ways of helping people who are struggling to feed their families. A lot of that tax saving actually is is captured by the producer rather than by the consumer. The rich people will get the more benefit because they spend more. It's expensive and difficult and complex to administer. These people love it. Yeah, definitely, yep. I mean, our weekly shop's gone up a fair bit. It make eating, eating healthy, like, a lot easier. Wow! Wow! Yeah, sounds mean. Good idea. We need that money. Like, I'm scratching together coins and that just to get my kids to school. There's a good reason why so many other countries do it. I think it's about time New Zealand followed suit. Spot the difference? The haters are the tax experts and economists. The others are voters, and they pretty much reflect the polling. It is great retail politics, as evidenced by Labour's own internal polling, usually top secret, but sprayed everywhere today, showing that, surprise, surprise, people like cheaper produce and are more likely to vote Labour to get it. Well, we're going to find out how it works in Australia and why one expert there says we shouldn't just dismiss it as a bad idea. But let's go back again nearly 40 years to some of the arguments when GST was first introduced. It was called a regressive tax that would hit the poorest the hardest, which which is kind of interesting because that's what people are saying about removing the GST from fruit and vegetables. The poorest would benefit the least. Do you agree with both of those arguments? Yeah, yeah. So the the issue around the regressivity of GST is because lower income people pay or spend a higher proportion of their income on basics like food. So from that perspective, they're paying a higher proportion of their income in GST. So that is why we say it is regressive. And yes, so the benefit of the proposed changes 
will benefit higher income earners the most, just because it is higher income earners who spend more um, on well on food and, and drinks in general. We haven't seen specifics on what that might mean for fruit and vegetables, but I think it's not unreasonable to assume that fruit and vegetable consumption is, is probably higher among higher income earners. Uh, the tax working group did some nice modelling on this when they were looking at removing GST from food and drink in general. And what they came up with was they said uh, low income households spend around about 20% of their income on food and drink. So removing the GST would save them around about $15 a week. Now, bear in mind, this is food and, food and beverages across mm. the board. Uh, and if we compare that to the higher income households, they were spending 14% of their income on food and drink, so less as a proportion. But the saving there would be $53, $53 saving from high income earners compared to $15 for low income earners. So whilst the proposed um, policy of removing the GST from just fruit and vegetables would be much lower than those figures that I've given you there, it gives you a bit of an indication of how it might actually play out and where the largest benefit would sit. I quite like the quote from Oliver Hartwich from the think tank The New Zealand Initiative. He wrote in The Australian last week that a clean GST system is a remarkable beast when left untouched, but it becomes a monstrous nightmare when it's meddled with. Yeah, well, I think he's captured that uh, very well. We're very lucky in New Zealand, I think, that because we do have a GST system that includes pretty much everything and the things that are not included are there for really good policy reasons and do make sense that they are not included. Most countries have to make concessions in order to get their GST implemented in the first instance. And we were lucky that we didn't have to do that or we, we didn't do that. Uh, so I, I, I do I do agree. Um, unfortunately, the minute you start tinkering with um, with your GST system and taking out certain things for social policy reasons, then you do lose a lot of the potential revenue that can be collected, but also you get a lot of complexity. And actually, let me just tell you what this or how we sit by way of OECD with our tax. So our GST is lower than OECD average. Ours is, as you know, 15%. The OECD average is just over 19%. But in New Zealand, we collect a lot more from our GST as a proportion of our overall tax take. So in New Zealand, our GST accounts for around about 25% of our tax revenue, and the OECD average is 20%. So we're collecting more as a proportion of our tax revenue at quite a lower rate. And the reason we can do that is because we don't have all the um, exclusions that other countries tend to have in their GST systems. Can you explain to me, so if this came into force, how would it work to take that GST, that part of GST, out of the system? Oh, well, look, it wouldn't, at an administrative level, it wouldn't be overly complex. So it would just require some reprogramming of software and uh, that would largely um, 
be done probably by by um, software manufacturers and providers. So at the um, perhaps at the retailer level, there wouldn't really be too much by way of complexity. Um, it seems to be that there is a reasonably good boundary drawn around what will be in and what will be excluded. However, having said that, there is there's always some issues around what is included and what is excluded. Um, and what we have seen in the past is some confusion with other in, in other countries where um, certain things are in and certain things are out and you have the potential for items to be um well for, for sort of gaming of the system for items to be treated as maybe what they they are not. But I mean, if it's just fresh fruit and vegetables and frozen, unprocessed um, fruit and vegetables, it should be reasonably straightforward. You know, I have read quite a bit of stuff over the last couple of days about how that's going to be complicated and the supermarkets will clip the ticket on the way and, you know, and it'll be really hard to police them because prices, fruit and vegetable, you know, fluctuates a lot. I completely agree with that. I don't think the savings will be seen completely in the hands of the consumers. Uh, I know that the um, Labour Party have said that they will have a, a grocery commission, but I don't really see how they can police this precisely because, as you've said, the prices of fruit and vegetables fluctuate. So it's really unlikely that this will get passed through. Overseas research uh, has clearly shown that it doesn't get passed through. And that's on items that you can clearly monitor. So items that don't tend to go up and down like fruit and vegetables do. So if if it doesn't get passed through on items that don't fluctuate in prices, then you know we, we certainly should not expect that it will be fully passed on to the consumer in products that do fluctuate. Um, I can give you an anecdotal example here, Sharon, which comes from um, South Africa where I was last week. Now, this is not scientific research mm. by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just a um, something that my colleagues over at the University of Pretoria told me that they did when they took the um, their equivalent of GST off sanitary items um, at about three or four years ago. And what they did as a department is about 12 of them went and checked the prices in the supermarkets and shops and so on of sanitary items before the tax increase. And then they went back and monitored the, what happened to those prices, sorry, the tax decrease, I should say, when the tax is taken off. Then they looked to see how much of that actually passed through to the consumer. And in some cases, they found that the prices didn't change at all. So none of it was passed through. Um, obviously, that's a different jurisdiction and it's entirely anecdotal, but I think it makes a good illustration of the point that it's it's pretty hard to police this. It's interesting that it has become such a discussion at the moment. I, I think it is because it's coinciding with this, um, the inflation that we're seeing right at the moment. So perhaps it is actually making more of an impact at the present time. It is something that has historically come up, you know, generally just prior to an election uh, previously, but it's never really been something that people have taken a lot of notice of. And I think mostly because nobody ever really thought uh, it would it would ever actually be considered as a serious policy option. Australia's had this kind of thing for a long time where it doesn't have GST on food basics. Why do they persevere with it if it's not that beneficial? Oh, I think it's one of these things that once it's in it will be very, very hard to reverse. Uh, it, I would 
liken it to our capital gains tax here. You know, it's extremely politically difficult to try to introduce one of those now. You know, if we had done it some time ago, perhaps, but there is just a political reluctance. And it's exactly the same thing in Australia, uh, that the cat is out of the bag and uh, it becomes extremely difficult for any government to now say that they're going to add 10% tax onto the this basic um, group of, of food items. Mm. So um, that's why I am quite concerned at the proposed policy here, because it it will be very difficult to reverse if, if, if it gets into policy. GST's been tweaked over the years. His former ACT MP David Garrett supporting it in 2010 when it was bumped up to 15%. Uh, In a uh, greasy spoon cafe in uh, Auckland that I frequent now and again when I wish to return, uh, and it's frequented by truck drivers and digger operators and those sort of chaps, and I was in there a few months ago, and then this guy said, you know, that uh, bleep, Sir Roger Douglas, he had it right, that bleep. GST, that thing, even the rich bleeps have to pay that, mate. That's a bleeping good idea. And I thought, well, isn't that marvellous? And Labour flip-flopped on taking it off fruit and veggies over the years. They campaigned on it in 2011. All the newspapers over the weekend and this morning are tipping that you are going to make a few announcements uh, regarding the Labour policy on GST, in particular removing GST on fresh fruit and vegetables. Hey, it's no secret that Labour has been looking at uh, taking a little bit of pressure off uh, family budgets. But then our current finance minister is being reminded of what he said about it not so long ago. This one is one where I do stand by the view that that GST as a comprehensive tax makes it very easy to administer. And there's people in the room who've lived in other countries where there are more uh, exemptions. It becomes an absolute boondoggle to get through. So how is Australia managing this boondoggle? Professor Alan Duncan is Director of Curtin University's Economic Centre in Perth. The exemptions to basic food items on the GST system in Australia were actually um, a device to see the legislation pass through in 2000, and it formed the basis of quite a strong election campaign by the coalition government under John Howard. Within a few short weeks, the Howard government had gone from woe to go in its plan for a 10% goods and services tax, even agreeing to exclude certain essentials like basic food to shield people on lower incomes. In order to get the legislation through, the Howard government had to agree to a range of GST exemptions on items such as basic food, healthcare, childcare costs and education. So it was really a measure that was thought necessary to get the legislation over the line. It turned out, I think, in the long run to have been accepted, but it was quite a struggle. What's the bread? What's that going? Up or down? Down It's a real rabbit warren of exemptions and eligibilities. It's very hard to give you in very simple terms what is exempt and not uh, because the list is, is, is huge. For the consumer, let's start with the consumer. Is it complicated? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, when they go to the for checkout. For the consumer, no. I mean, the con- so for the consumer, um, you're essentially presented with the price at the, your, your retail outlet. When you get your receipt at the till, then that indicates the GST paid on goods, but people don't sort of make that 
distinction between items that are GST exempt versus the GST payable. So what about for the retailers or the producers? Is it complicated? Yeah, a wee bit more complicated for, for, for retailers. The liability for GST is articulated to the Australian Tax Office through what's called a BAS business activity statement. Uh, and that itemizes the uh, you know, assessment by the uh, retailer, what level of GST they assess to be payable. And of course, they do so on the basis of the itemized products that they understand to be exempt according to ATO guidelines. So in some sense, that is the equivalent of individuals filling in uh, their personal tax return. So is there quite a bit of compliance, a bit of admin involved? Well, for sure. And, and, and this really goes to the heart of the debate. If one, for example, compares the GST system currently in place in New Zealand with GST or equivalent systems in Australia and in other jurisdictions around the world. It's the balance between um, the simplicity of the GST system versus any measures, discounts or exemptions that are designed ostensibly with some sort of distributional objective in mind but which add levels of compliance and administrative burden um, uh, to, to the tax. And there have been some studies um, in Australia that question the degree to which the exemptions that have been put into place in order to achieve distributional objectives, whether or not they are actually good value if one incorporates also the added layers of and the costs of compliance and administration. When you say distributional objectives, what, what do you mean by that? So what that means is that, uh, and, and this is particularly a feature for consumption or sales taxes, the arguments in favour of exemptions for specific items within the GST system come from the idea that depending upon your level of income, you may spend proportionately more of that income on uh, on necessary goods and particularly the essentials of life, food, um, uh, you know, education, healthcare basics. And so if one attaches a uniform uh, tax rate to all goods, then if you proportionately spend more of your income on consumption, then that tax uh, impacts more heavily on you. So when we talk about distributional impacts of GST, it's often considered in its very basic form to be what's termed regressive. That is to say, lower income households or lower spending households will pay a higher share of their income or spending on the tax. And hence these uh, exemptions, um, which were put in place in the design phase of Australia's GST, to try and mitigate against those disproportional impacts. What it boils down to, Alan, and you know, the People hate taxes, really, don't they? And so here the polls show that removing GST from fruit and veggies is hugely popular. Yeah. On the other side are the tax experts, the economists, who absolutely hate this idea and have put up all the reasons why it's a really bad idea. Does this surprise you, the response here? It doesn't, but but I, I would like the debate to be more rounded. I mean, I, I I see both the popular support 
for GST, you know, potentially without full information on, you know, all aspects of this as a potential reform. Uh, learning from the Australian experience is hard because GST was established with exemptions rather than looking towards introducing exemptions over the journey. I see very much the argument that is put forward by tax experts that the one of the great merits of the New Zealand system is in its simplicity. But I don't think you can uh, demur from the fact that GST in and of itself with no exemptions does have distributional impacts. And one should, uh, I think, acknowledge and recognise that. However, that does not mean to say that exemptions from GST on necessities is the best response. I do think the debate should be carried forward. I would like to understand from the Labour Party, what their estimated compliance costs and administrative costs are for the introduction of the exemption of, um, of, of fresh fruit and vegetables, because then that would be that that would create a fuller information set that people could then make decisions on. And what I think would also uh, be important is to explore alternatives. So, for the same cost of introducing GST exemptions on fresh fruit and vegetables, what else can you do? How much would it cost and what distributional impact might that have to address clearly the very significant cost of living concerns that many are facing in New Zealand? So what you're saying is don't dismiss it yet, keep debating it and that Labour needs to provide more information about how it's going to work and what the cost of it is going to be before you make a decision about it. Yeah, I would certainly like to see that. Even if one were to go for exemptions on GST for you know for for whatever rationale, that should never remove the imperative for governments to address the large cost of living concerns. There are far greater contributions to high cost of living and particularly uh, food inflation than necessarily GST. We know, for example, that costs have been rising throughout the supply chain on fuel costs, transport costs, storage costs. All of these have a contribution to the overall food price inflation that we've been seeing in New Zealand, I think upwards of 12% uh, on most recent data, and with fruit and vegetables, more than 18%. Alan, great to talk to you. It sounds like you've been w looking quite closely at what is happening in New Zealand, or is it just that you were doing prep for this interview? <laughs> <laughs> I was doing, it's a bit of both, I, I, you know, of course, the debate is fascinating. Is and it? I do think, yeah. you know, yeah, and this, I think this speaks to a lot more comparison that I think we'd like to make with New Zealand as a jurisdiction, as our closest, uh, you know, jurisdiction, not just around tax policy, around, you know, welfare policy. I think there are instances where New Zealand is well ahead uh, in its policy design and, and learning from the New Zealand experience for me is also um, I think you know hugely instructive so so it was um, it was a pleasure to have a little bit of a dig around and see what the data is like. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Alan Duncan and Lisa Marriott. Matewa. Wa.